There are many things that we have had uh, to do in life out of duty instead of pleasure. I would argue that this is true only when we have regard for our own pleasure and not the pleasure of God. As we seek the pleasure of God, it's only then that we can truly enjoy life. And I think what we have in Romans chapter 12 as we continue our journey through Paul's letter to the Romans is that when we remember the love of God, when we measure our motivations and we rejoice in God, we're able to truly experience the life that he offers to us in his son, Jesus Christ. So Romans chapter 12, we're going to go through most of the chapter. Um, We did verses 1 and 2 last week. This week we're doing verses 3 through 21. So let's read it together, and then we will come back and talk about it. So Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Last week, in verses 1 and 2, we talked about being transformed by the renewal of your mind and not being conformed to the pattern of this world. And when you add those two things together, being transformed by the renewal of your mind and not being conformed to the pattern of this world, what you get is what Paul talks about as he begins in verse 3, is not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. There are two main reasons why we are tempted to think improperly. I would propose. There are two main reasons why we are tempted to think improperly about ourselves. Number one, this is the way that the world thinks, which is why Paul has just said, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. It's the way that the world thinks. 
And the second reason is that some spiritual gifts seem better than others. Some spiritual gifts seem better than others. Our rebellious hearts train our minds to be rebellious. Our minds have betrayed us. We thought we knew what was best, but it backfired on us. In Romans chapter 1, verse 21, Paul says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And he continues on in verse 29 there in chapter 1, saying, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. So this this is the pattern of thinking that we are fighting. The way that this world thinks about itself and the way that this world thinks about God are absolutely contrary to the way in which God designed. We began our time together reading from Psalm 53. What did Psalm 53 start with? The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And God has judged mankind for our rebellion. Each of us, all of us, here in this room, in your house, at your job, in your classroom, at the grocery store, we have all been given over to a mind that does not think properly. It does not think properly concerning itself, and it does not think properly concerning God. So it would only make sense that this mind set on the flesh is something that infiltrates our church or the church. We are broken people with broken minds who have been called to come together in order to proclaim the gospel, to build each other up in community, and to send each other out on mission. But selfish hearts tend to forget the gospel. Rebellious minds think more of themselves than the community. When we forget the mercies of God, we neglect the mission of God. Our focus becomes the individual instead of the church. In a particular way, this can manifest itself even in a community of redeemed sinners is in our view of spiritual gifts. Some spiritual gifts seem better than others. And because they look better or seem better, we give them more attention than we ought. Look again at verses 3 through 5. There in our text in Romans 12. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. When we think about the grace of God, the mercies of God, Pride has no place. But why does Paul bring up pride or drunken judgment? Because that's the opposite of sober judgment, right? I mean, we should think soberly because typically we think like a drunk person. I mean, that's the idea. Because because the different things we do for the body and the roles we play in the body do not all seem equal. In this world, we give more honor to those with greater gifting at a conference. Who is the most important person? At a concert, who are the most important people? When we actually think about the answer to that question for more than 10 seconds, we realize that it takes 
50 people behind the scenes to make that performance happen, to put on that conference. Lately, uh, Brooke and I have been getting to know some people who work or have worked at the Barter. Just yesterday, we met someone who works on costumes. We saw pictures of the thousands of costumes that they have in their inventory. We know someone who used to design the sets on stage. We know someone who used to work in the ticket office. The Barter Theater employs a lot of people because it takes a lot of people to produce a high-quality play. From planning to production to performance, a lot of work goes into it. Naturally, I only think about the actors and the actresses. What a great performance they put on. But take away the sound guy and the lights guy and the costume person and the usher and the marketing director and just think, what kind of performance would it be then? Would I even know that they're playing? Would there even be an audience to show up? How would the actors get paid? How would they know what plays to do? Now think about the church. Some in the church have more visible roles than others. But that does not mean that we have more faith or that we've been given more grace. It does not mean that others are less important. It does not mean that all you need is a preacher if you boil it all down. To the contrary, just like your own body has different parts that all function in order to keep the body alive and operational, so too in the church we are one body in Christ, and we are individually members one of another. God has given us different gifts so that we would use them in proper order. Have you ever gone bobbing for apples? Some of us? Yeah, probably the older ones of us. I'm not sure who does this now, especially because of the pandemic, right? You know, I mean, could it get much more, you know, unsanitary than (laughs) sticking your mouth? And I'm not sure why people did it willingly before the pandemic. You know, I mean, I just, I just, but it's a thing, right? And we're in fall festival season. So, you know, I mean, that's what people do in fall festivals, I guess. <laughs> supposed to use your mouth to do something that your hand could do a thousand times easier, right? It's a misuse of our body parts. And you may be thinking to yourself, man, maybe Stephen has some horror story about bobbing for apples, right? But no, I didn't almost drown bobbing for apples. It's just an example of asking one part of your body to do something that should be a job for another part. And I do think it's a dumb game. (laughs) It is kind of fun to watch, though, if people just kind of just can't do it because I don't even know how you're supposed to do it. Anyways. It's <laughs> just, just not. I mean, it's fun to make. It, it's it's fun to make fun of people who try to do it. I guess that's that's the only saving grace of it. But I think Paul's making a similar point about you know sort of misuse or misunderstanding of what we're supposed to do. Verses six through eight. We'll read again. Having gifts that defer according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service. In our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, the one who bobs for apples with his hand. <laughs> right? We could add there. Right? So two thoughts on this. Use your gifts accordingly. 
Use your gifts accordingly. And the second one is be careful to aspire to gifts and skills that are not yours. Be careful in aspiring to gifts and skills that are not yours. If you are going to prophesy, make sure it accords with sound doctrine. That's really what he's saying there. In proportion to our faith, as it says there at the end of verse 6, is not the most clear presentation, I think, of what Paul is trying to say there. I think it means, like, in relationship to your faith, in accordance with the faith that you have been given, not according to some new idea. You shouldn't be coming up with new doctrine in your prophecy. It should be in accordance with faith, the faith, the faith as it has been handed down to us. Right? If you're gifted in serving, then serve. If you can teach, then teach. If you lead, then do it with passion. If you give, then give generously. Use your gifts accordingly, not just for your own good, but for the good of those in the church. Notice how each of the gifts he lists are basically useless if there is not a target outside of itself. You can't teach someone if there's not someone to teach. You can't do acts of mercy if there's not someone to be merciful toward. Our gifts are not meant to be used on ourselves. They are for the good of the whole. This is how God designed it. Do not think to yourself that you have no place in the church. Do not think to yourself that God has not imparted to you some part to play. God has given you a part to play. The Spirit of God has gifted you to serve the body of Christ. And when we use our gifts for the good of others, we are able to experience and believe that God's ways are good and right. A body with a part that is not functioning as God has gifted it to function is a body that is sick. Now, many of us here in the room are medical professionals, so I feel like I'm preaching to the choir, the medical choir, as it were, on this one. Right? Do you ever meet someone who has a health issue because a certain part of their body is acting up. But come to find out, the underlying issue is not what they came in for. The issue that is that one part of the body is compensating for a deficiency in another part. So what presents as an issue with this part is actually just a symptom of a different problem. We can get this way also in the body of Christ, sometimes unintentionally, sometimes intentionally which is the second thing I mentioned concerning gifts. Be careful in aspiring to gifts and skills that are not yours. Expecting your foot to grow an opposable thumb is a bit silly. You ever see a guy who works out his upper body but doesn't work out his legs? Maybe you know someone who exercises regularly but has a horrible diet. The problem of aspiring to gifts outside of what the Spirit has designed for you is that perhaps you overcompensate and expect more than or less than you really should, either from what you truly are gifted at or what you're aspiring to be gifted at. Now, I don't have time to develop this too much, but I just want us to be conscious of God's design versus our plan. Remember, our minds tend to gravitate towards self-preservation or self-aggrandizement or self-propagation. But a humble mind, a mind set on the things of God, 
a mind not conformed to the pattern of this world also becomes a part of the body that functions appropriately. When the body is well, the individual parts of the body are well. But just because certain parts of the body are healthy, it doesn't mean the body overall is healthy. What Paul does next in our text is great because he goes from a sort of theoretical look at the church into practical mode. You can almost see his mind shift from a generic description to specific application as we move from verses 3 through 8 into verse 9. Remembering the mercies of God and having our minds humbly transformed, this is how Christians in the church are to relate to one another. So as we read verses 9 through 21 and talk about them, remember that the primary context here is the context that Paul has just given us, the church. This is how you should relate to fellow Christians, members of the church. He'll specifically get into broader relationships, especially at the beginning of chapter 13, as he looks at governing authorities. But for now, when we read again here in just a second, verses 9 through 21, primarily think about the church, fellow Christians. Let's read verses 9 through 21 again. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The central place of love in the heart and mind of a Christian cannot be understated. Many of us are familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13. What do we call that chapter? The love chapter, right? So what's the topic of 1 Corinthians 12? Well, also chapter 14. Spiritual gifts. Having gifts that differ according to the grace God has given to the church. In what manner are the gifts to be displayed? In love. With love. The love chapter in 1 Corinthians was not written to husbands and wives, though it is applicable. The love chapter was written to the church, for the church, in the church, among the church. Gifts apart from love make no sense. A true display of spiritual gifts is a display of love. So here's a question I have for us as we look at our text in Romans. How can love be genuine if it's not natural? How can love be without hypocrisy if we don't normally love? If, if it's not something that comes natural to us. 
Well, I would propose that love can be learned. We know this because we learn about God and God is love. And we also remember that the love we are to show does not come uniquely from us. We are only able to love because God first loved us. So the first thing I'd say when it comes to loving others genuinely is to remember the love with which we were first loved. You'll notice that Paul doesn't really reference that here in our text, but it has been the current driving this letter up to this point. The mercies of God are most clearly seen in the love that he has displayed for us. God displayed his love for us by sending Jesus to bear the wrath of God that we deserved. We believe that Jesus did that for us even while we were yet still sinners. Christ died for us on our behalf, in our place. The weight of sin we bear no more, praise the Lord. Remember the love of God. Remember the love of God. The second thing is to understand the difference between true love and selfishness. What I'll say, sort of in a more succinct manner, is measure our motivations. Remember the love of God and measure our motivations. Now, this can be hard to do. How can I know when I'm truly loving someone or when I'm simply acting in my own self-interest? This can be quite tricky. I think this oftentimes really requires some dedicated time and effort to understand about ourselves. Evaluating our motivations. Assessing the outcome in our own heart. I mean, any of us can assess the outcome of a particular situation and say, See, look, that person was blessed because of what I did or what I said. But if all we look at is the outcome for the other party, it doesn't always give us the truth. We can love the shoes off of somebody and perhaps their stubborn heart refuses to accept it. Their own pride doesn't allow our love to be received how it was intended. So you may look at that situation and say that your effort of love was wasted, but that wouldn't be true. Or you could think of another example where I think I act in love towards someone and they do in fact end up better off for it. They are blessed. But what I failed to notice was that my motivation was selfish. So let's give a hypothetical to display this one, right? What if tomorrow I clean the kitchen? I clean the bathrooms. I dusted. (laughs) The family already laughing. I dusted, I vacuumed, I mopped, I mowed the yard, I weeded it, I trimmed the rose bushes, I pulled some weeds, I organized the basement, I cooked dinner. Now, now all of y'all know this is hypothetical, right? So I do all that, but the whole time, I've just been buttering up Brooke to let me go skiing with some guy friends for a week. Or maybe I was just looking for some extra attention from Brooke. So yeah, Brooke was served, she was blessed, the kids had a couple less chores to do, everybody's happy. But what was my motivation? Our motivation matters, because therein lies whether or not we're being genuine. Sometimes we do things that we absolutely hate. Our body hates it. Our mind hates it. We would rather be doing anything else. But we do it anyways because we are seeking to train ourselves For godliness, to train ourselves to show love because we have been loved by Jesus, to serve because we know how we have been served by Christ 
and by faithful Christians in the church. Struggling against our our selfish motivations should be commended. Struggling against our selfish motivations should be commended. It should be celebrated. If all we do is the stuff that comes easy to us, it's easy then to lose our passion. It's easy to lose sight of proper motivation. We just do it because it's routine. It's simple. Can you see how love may be easily forgotten? Paul says, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. What Paul is talking about is not forgetting the motivation behind our actions. Remembering the gospel. Remembering the love of God toward us sinners. So first, we remember the love of God. Second, we measure our motivations. And third, I'd say we rejoice in God. When we find our satisfaction in God, we no longer look to the world for satisfaction. Paul tells us to rejoice in hope in verse 12. To rejoice in hope. Christian hope is not a fleeting feeling. It's like love. Love is a certain expression, a concrete action. Hope is a confident expectation, a confident expectation. We can only truly rejoice in God when we have past, present, and future reasons for hope. We trust what Christ has done for us in the past. We trust what the Spirit is doing in the present. And we trust in what the Father has planned for us in the future. Those who truly have hope that is based on God will certainly be constant in prayer. Learning to no longer depend on yourself is exactly the theme of what Paul is talking about here in this entire chapter. If all we are concerned with is how I have looked or how I do look or how I am going to look, we've forgotten God and we've neglected the church. I want to encourage you because... Um, I'm not going to go through the rest of the chapter, and we've barely gone over any of the ones that I have talked about. So I want to encourage you, give you some homework, to spend some time this week studying Romans chapter 12. I mean, there are like 20 different imperatives, commands that were given. I mean, we'd be here all day if we looked at every single one of them. And we just simply don't allow enough time in our gatherings. And I want you to be able to spend some time really assessing your own heart. So here's a couple of things I want you to do specifically this week. I want you to commit to do a couple things this week. Choose one relationship in your family and one relationship with a fellow Christian. One relationship in your family and one relationship with a fellow Christian. That's two different relationships, two different people. The first thing I want you to do is to assess if there is a particular way that your love has not been genuine toward them. Assess if there is a particular way that your love has not been genuine toward them. If you find that you have fallen short, 
in either or both of those, admit it to God and admit it to the other person. Ask for their forgiveness. Make action steps as to how to avoid that in the future, how to genuinely love them in that particular arena of how you failed in the past. The second thing I want you to do is to show them honor. Find a way to practically love them, which is what I just mentioned, and then show them love, show them honor. And I want you to be able to get past the fact that I've encouraged you to do it or told you to do it, and that be your only motivation. Let the love of God compel you, control you. For such a practically-minded chapter, let's encourage one another to do something practical. And as you do these things, I would remind you and encourage you to remember the love of God, to measure your motivations, and to rejoice in God. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. I do pray that you would give us the grace that we need this week to serve you wholeheartedly. We don't want to give you just some of our lives. We don't want to just give you a piece of our heart. But God, you deserve all of us. All of who we are. God, we have failed you in so many ways. And so open up our eyes to see and our ears to hear. Soften our hearts to understand how we have been selfish how we have not genuinely loved you. And then help us, God, to know how we have not genuinely genuinely loved those around us. Don't let us walk away from a text like this and have some facts to remember, but it not have changed us. God, we need your spirit to work in the gifts that he has given to us to encourage one another, to exhort one another, to teach one another, to be merciful toward one another, to be honest and kind and compassionate with one another. So God, would your spirit work in us this week? And would we be drawn closer to you and closer to one another? as we submit ourselves to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.